Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 58. So today I'm so happy to be talking to Mitch Bark about his work. We're talking about what makes a great guided experience and how you can create wow moments in your programs. But before that, last week I shared another bite-sized episode and it was about how to end your programs with a bang rather than with a whimper. So do head over to episode 57 and have a listen if you haven't already. And as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire Bown. I'll put a link in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, please do go and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you really love it, please write us a short review. It really does help to get the word out about this podcast. So thank you. Now, let me introduce my guest this week. Mitch is one of those people you meet and instantly get on with. He's warm, he's witty, and he's whip smart. We met in New York a few years ago, bonded over cocktails, and have been friends ever since. We share the same passions about making guided experiences interactive, participative, memorable, and even transformative. So Mitch is the co-founder of Trip School, a community of 6,000 plus tour guides, tour leaders and entrepreneurs, all committed to lifelong learning. He's also, he's a busy man, the leader of Tourpreneur, a community of 4,000 plus tour operators. Now, both organizations offer training, mentorship, meetups, and a wide range of other resources to empower and encourage experienced creators. And that's what we're talking about today, guided experiences and tours. We discuss what makes a great guided tour and what makes a great guide. Then we spend some time exploring what a wow moment is and how you can create them to make your programs more memorable and even transformative. Now, this is a longer chat than usual. We had so much to talk about. You will definitely want to grab a notebook for this one, as there are so many takeaways from this chat. So here it is. Enjoy. Hi, Mitch, and welcome to the Art Engager podcast. Claire, it is a huge pleasure to be here. I am a avid listener, and uh, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Brilliant. Um, where are you right now? I am in a neighborhood called Dumbo in Brooklyn, New York. It was named as a joke and it has stuck and it stands for <laughs> down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. So I'm living between two iconic bridges in New York City. Fantastic. And we met in New York, didn't we? We bonded over cocktails, I think, oof, pre-pandemic, maybe 2018, I'd guess. I didn't- I didn't know if that sigh was about the cocktails that we had or if you were trying to remember. But either way, that was a wonderful evening. 
2018, you could say 1928, it feels that long ago. It because what does. we've been through since then has been a lot. Yeah. So um, let's get into talking about what it is that you do and sort of how you came to be doing this amazing combination of roles that you have. Yeah. So thanks. I run two organizations, essentially two communities, one for tour guides and one for tour businesses or tour operators, experience creators. Uh, the tour guide organization that I run is called Trip School, and we're about 6,000 tour guides, tour leaders, people who are out there on the front lines delivering experiences. You might be in a museum, you might like so much of your audience is, but you might also be a food tour guide, you might be an adventure guide, and really we offer courses, lifelong learning, meetups, uh, you name it, in-person trainings, fun destination trips just to enjoy each other's presence. But we've really tried to create a global community of tour guides who are often working in sort of isolated situations alone or for their one operator or for their one museum. And then I also am now the leader of an organization called Tourpreneur which is a community of about 4,000 tour operators. And so they're the business side. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the people that are running sometimes fairly large businesses, and sometimes they're just solo operators. They're tour guides with a website, but they're trying to figure out how to make it a go as, as an actual business. And so together, really, I'm just trying to offer community support, mentorship, coaching, training, you name it all focused on experienced creators and trying to trying to offer lifelong learning uh, in in a new way right uh, I don't know if in the past there have been organizations that are trying to gather us all together around the globe when we all work so locally if you know what I mean you know yeah. usually you you join a guides association or you might know other operators in your area but I've tried to hopefully create a space where we can all come together and learn from each other, whether I'm in New York and you're in the Netherlands or someone's in New Zealand. And just that sense of being a global community, I think, is really important. And it's probably a lesson we all learned uh, over the last couple of years, particularly. I think so, too. Community is so, so important, especially when we often work in parallel to each other, getting together, being able to share our experiences I think for us, we've chatted so much in the past and just today before we came on air about what makes a great guided tour or a great guided experience. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It's certainly something that I've been thinking about for the past ooh, 25 plus years, um, and it's been the subject of studies. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. And I realized that I kind of missed the second part of your earlier question, which was how did I get to what I'm doing, which factors into this. I was a tour guide for 20 years and a tour operator. I started out in Paris, France when I was a student at the university. And I realized that all of the knowledge that I was learning could be expressed not only in essays, but also out on the streets, sharing what I loved with travelers that were coming to Paris. And I became a tour leader and traveled all around Europe. I did that for almost a decade, worked throughout Europe, started my own tour business. And for me, it was through fault of not knowing any better that I made up my own way of doing things. I didn't go to a school. My school didn't exist. Nothing existed that I knew of. 
And so I was just out there making it up. And I think inadvertently, you can become particularly creative and interesting when there's no rule book that you know of. And so I think I've developed uh, uh, an approach or a perspective that sometimes feels very different, but it also feels uh, like after 20 years, it's it's what I know works for me at least. And when you, you know, when you ask what makes a great guided tour, the word that always, always pops into my head is connection. And the way I teach it is think of a triangle. You've got the guide, you've got the guest, and you've got the place. So you want connections to happen between all of those things. You want the guide and the guest to connect through interaction, through personalization or customization, through that sort of emotional bond that happens through powerful storytelling. You want the guest to feel not only connected to the guide, because if it's that, then it's just a good entertainment, right? You want the guest to also feel a sense of the place, a, a real sense of discovery, uh, of, of deepening of an understanding of, of the place or of the work of art or whatever it is. And I, for me, the, the phrase, which has become very popular, a sense of place, <laughs> really captures it, which is just all of those things, the feeling of being in the city of Paris and discovering what a croissant means in their culture or, and, and that's much more for me about feeling than it is about information that, that, and it's about connection. And then finally, that final part of the triangle is, is the guests connecting with the guests. And I, I think that's so important. I mean, listen, again, we're recording this after the pandemic. And so we all know what it's like to not feel connected to people. And so I think a great guided tour, if it's guided within a group setting, if it's not just one-on-one, -on -one, then don't forget that those are individuals standing next to each other and the arrows should also be pointing to each other, which might just mean group sharing. But it also means that you're creating a collective shared experience. And when 10 people experience something together, that's different than me going off on my own and discovering the Louvre or discovering, you know, the streets of Italy or whatever it is. And so I think the greatest guided tours have the arrows going between all of those different sort of uh, ends, <laughs> whatever the ends of a triangle are, points, <laughs> uh, um, um, to create something really special. And when that's happening, when, when all of those are firing on all cylinders, it's just, it's an un unbelievable experience. I like the visual model model that you created for us there. Yes, absolutely. Um, on and a podcast, say... it, would have been, it would have been easier <laughs> with the slide. <laughs> exactly to show it but yes I mean I don't know how many times on this podcast I've talked about connection before content um doing a great guided program a great experience a great guided tour is more than about your knowledge it is about connections and whether they're you know connections between you and the organization maybe the museum you're in or the group you're with but also between the people in the group as well and without that no fireworks, no relatedness, no magic can really happen. So it's so, so, so important. Um, listening to your background as well, and you're talking about how you came to be doing what you're doing and realizing that I started out as a tour leader, as a tour manager, and then moved into guiding um, and doing all sorts of guiding from walking tours, city tours, and museum guiding. 
and then managing guides as well. And I can remember um, way back when in the 90s being in charge of city guides in Europe and, and trying to make these city guides to be more interactive and less about the talking, the walking and the talking and more about the connections between the people. So, yes, as you can say, see, this is a sort of a, a lifelong passion of mine and it moves us quite nicely onto what makes a great guide. I mean, so many things. Can you distill it for us? What makes a great guide? Yes, I can absolutely distill it down to the following 27 things. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right that that type of connection is is just a different way of guiding. And I will say that I've met many a guide for whom it's a threat. It's a threat to what they think they bring to the equation, which is their knowledge. And the minute you're saying it's about something that isn't knowledge, I often hear two things. One is my guests want to hear everything. They want to learn. Well, we're not not saying you're not learning. Uh, and I think the other thing is that it's it, it's a different skill set. It's a skill set that is about human traits that aren't just about reading another book on New York City or on Paris or wherever you are, learning another fact about this. But rather about how you present it and what the bedrock of that guided experience is, which is a human connection. And without that, I, for example, I've been taking many tours of the last couple of months now that the world, at least that I operate in, which is largely Europe and the United States has reopened. Uh, I had a guide um, that was fantastically knowledgeable and forgot to tell me what her name was at the beginning of the tour. There was no welcome. I didn't even learn their name because they were just ready to launch into everything that they knew about the city that they loved. And they did love the city. But if I don't know your name and if you haven't at least pretended to be interested in me, then it's just a much harder ask. And so when you ask me what makes a great guide, I really, I, I like to think of it a little bit like uh, cooking, right? I'm, I'm a New Yorker, which means I do not cook. I would prefer if I didn't have a kitchen, it would mean more living space. And so I'm, I'm not a great cook. There are, there are people for whom cooking is an art. They're a chef. It's their absolute passion. And I think, I think guiding works a little bit similarly. There are those for whom it's a job. And I, I have nothing against for example, here in New York, the Broadway actor who's just looking to pay the bills until they get to the next job that, that they really want. And for others, they might be a university student. They might be 20 years old. And again, it fits into their college lifestyle. And so they learn the script, they learn the recipe, and they deliver it very well. And so that kind of guide, which I wouldn't call a professional guide on the level of it's their career, it's their passion, it's what they want, uh, it, it, you still need to have those basic skills. You need to be punctual and know where you're going and have decent memory and be able to project your voice. Sometimes guides for whom it's their absolute passion, they forget that lowest level of a pyramid where they might be fantastic, but I can't hear them. <laughs> or they don't have a certain sense of dynamism. Uh, they haven't mastered what I call the difference between the friend and the leader. For example, 
You need to have moments of asserting authority over the group, of truly commanding the group so that they feel like they've got a leader. Otherwise, you're going to start to get what I call history dad shouting out whatever he wants to add to the equation. And it's because subconsciously, maybe he's seen an opportunity to assert himself because you haven't asserted yourself. And I see the opposite as well, where a guide is focused on just delivering their knowledge and they forget that small talk is important. Engaging along the route to the next spot, just a little casual banter, being a friend. I want to enjoy your presence for the next few hours. And, and so that sort of, you know, part one of guiding skills is so important for everybody. But I guess if I were to look to that person that says, I know what this job can be and I want it to become at least a passion of mine for the next five years. Well, then I think that's where there's the, opportunity for greatness. And I really distill it down to four things. So a great guide for me, first of all, has empathy. And that means everything from being a good listener. Uh, It means reading the room, understanding when you've got the audience, when you've been talking too long. It means also sensing what their needs are, sensing what a group's needs are. And and all of those sorts of things that we as humans naturally do when you're with a lover or you're with a good friend, you read each other. And that kind of reading, I think, is kind of an emotional or human foundation for a great guided experience. Um, We've talked about connection. uh, But beyond that, the, you know, the other word for me is, is facilitation. In other words, a facilitator isn't a dictator. It understands that learning happens in the individual's mind, and it happens through building bridges between what you know and what you love and where your guest is at. And it might be as simple as making sure that before you talk about a croissant in Paris, I was just in Paris, so all my examples are French right now, (laughs) uh, but that's okay. You know, before you share what a croissant means in France, you ask your guests, what does bread mean in your culture? Is bread part of your culture? You might have a guest from Korea, a guest from New York City, and a guest from, you know, uh, uh, (laughs) Morocco. Well, the minute bread forms as an image in their mind first, and they start to understand what bread means for their culture. And then you can say the work that goes into a croissant, what it has meant, uh, where it got its origins. Well, then it's not, you're not just delivering information, but you're facilitating a connection between not an idea much more than an object or, uh, or a sense, a feeling. And it's a feeling that begins with me, my sense of home, my sense of place. And then I reevaluate my sense of place in light of what you as the guide have, 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 have given. You've shed a new light on my own, my own perspective in life. And so that kind of facilitation happens with everything, with food, with an art object, which I know you're so passionate about, with a city building. Uh, and and all that, all that usually takes is, is a real question. All it really takes is, is genuine empathy and caring for that guest's perspective. 
And when I say something like personalization, well, from there, the guided tour can go any number of ways. Uh, if you have a group of, you're in the Netherlands, if you have a group of Dutch guests in New York City's financial district, well, for me, the best guides are going to deliver a very different financial district tour to a group from the Netherlands when you're in a colony called New Netherland, when you understand a little bit about the history of, let's say, the Netherlands and what, 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 what it meant for Dutch to come over to the United States and start to personalize your storytelling and your facilitation in a way that genuinely... Uh, um, pays homage to the perspective of your guests and not just, hey, you're from the Netherlands. Well, we used to be called the New, Nether New Netherlands. And now my, my, my scripted story, <laughs> right? And, and I think the less we can get away from, the more we can get away from the script, the more we can get away from thinking I've got my shtick, as we call it in New York City, and more we can start to understand the light bulb that the light bulb going off in your guests' minds is what your goal is, not them to laugh at you and give you a five-star review. The more you start to see the true transformative power of what guiding can be and what a guided experience can be. Yeah, brilliant. And I'm glad I asked you to answer that very difficult question. And you so succinctly summed it up <laughs> for me. I remember reading, um, it was a very good uh, research project a few years ago, and they, it was all about museum guiding and guiding as a profession, and they identified 45 competencies. So yes, there's an, there's an awful lot of competencies that you might say that are really important, but distilling it down to four really essential elements, as you just did, was um, great to hear. And it leads us on really nicely to talk about those wow moments, those moments in, in our tours, in our experiences, when maybe people have an experience that could perhaps be described as transformative or memorable or, or something that would linger with them for a very long time. How can we create more of those moments in our tours and experiences? Yeah, if, if there's anything that I'm obsessed with, I think it is the power of a wow moment on a tour. And really, it's, it's a moment. It's one moment on a three-hour tour or a two-hour tour or a five-day tour. And the reason it's one moment is because it, it needs to stick out. <laughs> the wow moment needs to be special. If you have a tour of nothing but what you're trying to do as tr transformative moments, then nothing is, right? It needs, to, it, it needs to live in the mind of your guest in a very different way than everything else. And, you know, this is something that's been studied ad nauseum. It's known sometimes as the peak end rule where people don't remember everything. They remember how they felt at the most extreme. And they remember the end of a moment. I would also argue with absolutely no psychological data that how you begin is really important too, uh, if only to set the stage positively for a good while moment. But, you know, this was, this was studied, for example, people queuing up for something. Uh, imagine you're all trying to get to a door and you've got two queues. Well, queue one, I'm using European language, we'd call it a line, but queue number one is people that are walking just on the, at, on the same pace until they get to the door. Cue number two, the, 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 the line moves slower, but then in the middle, it moves very quickly. Then at the very end of the queue, everybody going into the door gets to move very quickly in the door. In both cases, they ask the, they ask the people, how did you feel? 
Cue number one, they said this was miserable. Cue number two, which waited exactly as long, said that was great. It's because their minds could latch on to something special, something heightened, and, and, and then at the end, they felt good. And that then forms the impression of the entire experience. They don't go through the data and say, how long was I waiting? How long did the other line wait? They're just going off a of feeling. And so the wow moment is about how can we create the conditions of this type of heightened feeling? And I really just began thinking about this through my own experience of what are the moments I remember about the tours that I've led and the things I realized I remember were really unscripted. They felt like a surprise. They felt different or special compared to what the expectations were for the tour day. You know, I remember one time I was with a group of old ladies and uh, we were in a chapel and there's a piano. I play the piano. So I just sat down and I played Amazing Grace. And this one woman just burst out into tears. And she said, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. And she, she revealed that she had just buried her mother a few months before. And her mother was supposed to be on the trip with her. And her mother, when she was dying, said, I want you to make sure you go on that trip and see the rest of the world because I'm going to be watching through your eyes. Uh, I want you to see it for me. And um, at her funeral, the song that they played, pretty classic, was Amazing Grace, which meant that we were all crying when she finished sharing that story. Mm. We, were just, we were just transformed. That wow moment was really special because it didn't say at 2.35 p.m., we're all going to cry listening to Amazing Grace because at that moment, you know, we'd expect it. And so I think the wow moments involve us as human as we can, as human as we can be, which means involve our senses. It involves us smelling or seeing or touching or feeling. Uh, it involves a sense of surprise. We didn't see it coming. It involves a sense of journey. Usually wow moments are stories. They're not the Eiffel Tower. It's something that happens. It's something uh, that is revealed over time. It's something that you go home and say, and then, and then, and then, and not just, oh, what was the highlight of the trip? The Arc de Triomphe. No, nobody says that because we know it. Uh, sometimes it just involves creating a moment of poetry and silence. Um, it's sometimes a moment where you feel connected to the whole group because it's a shared discovery. I remember one time I was a tour manager and we were stuck in the Holland Tunnel in New York City uh, between New Jersey and New York. And New York, We were stuck there for three hours because there had been an accident at the end of the tunnel. We were in this tunnel for three hours. We had used the bathroom on the bus so much that it had begun to just become horrific. And so we banned anybody from using it. So we all had to pee. We were in darkness and we finally arrived in New York City. We made it to our first stop. Everybody ran in and used the restroom. And I ran across the street to a bodega, which is just a little market. And I bought cheap flowers. And when they all left, when they all got out of the restroom, I gave each of them a little cheap flower. And I said, you've all been through <laughs> a lot. And I don't want you to think about how that bus smells. I want you to think about this flower and smell it. And I gave them their flowers and we were all laughing because it was a stupid gesture. But it's funny because I took a photo of, I took a photo of that. And at the end of the tour, I looked at that photo and I said, they are genuinely happy. And we just had a miserable three-hour experience. And not only that, but 
on the review cards, almost all of them wrote that one of the highlights was that bathroom stuff. The highlight was a miserable moment that had become a wow moment because it was shared. It was, we all endured it together, but then it got us to feel something luckily positive. And those little things, I think if you go back in your mind as a, as a museum docent, as a, as a guide, whomever you are, the things that stick out in our memory, especially after five years, is never information because our brains aren't programmed for that. Our brains are programmed to remember feelings and to imprint field, field memories uh, more than anything else. And so I can almost still smell that flower from that restroom break, but I don't remember any of those people's names. I don't remember nice. any of, of the salient informational details about it. And I think that's a really important lesson for all of us as guides. Yeah, what a great story and, and a really good illustration of that. Maybe thinking about how we can create experiences that are more personal, that are more memorable, that are more relevant, turning a negative into a positive, you know, using the element of surprise as well. We may not be able to plan for all of these events. We may have to be flexible and think on our feet. But yeah, that could create the highlight of the tour, for example. So yeah, wonderful advice there. Thank you. Absolutely. But I, I want to make no mistake, you, you don't have to wait for these things to hopefully happen. I, I did give you a few examples that are moments that appeared in a particular tour. But I used to lead as a tour manager a tour from Charleston, South Carolina, down to Savannah, Georgia. And along the way, there's a stop. And I'd tell my guests at the beginning of the day, at a certain point today, something not on the itinerary is going to happen. And it's going to be wonderful. I just start, I just start with that. And then every time the bus like slowed down for traffic, they'd say, wait, are we going to the surprise now? Is this a surprise? <laughs> and or is this the stop? It got them wondering. They were just wondering when it is. And then suddenly the bus would make a right turn and the bus would be driving down a road that used to be a dirt road. Now it's paved and has all of these old um, oak trees with Spanish moss dangling off of it, bristling over the top of the, the motor coach bus. And I'd get on the microphone and I'd say, I remember the first time I drove down this road with my uncle. I thought he was going to murder me. Seems like the place where people go to disappear. Suddenly off the highway, you are in the middle of nowhere. And this is what most of the U.S. South looked like for hundreds of years. Just roads with this moss and surprises everywhere. And this is a region of the United States that, that's been ravaged. It's a region that went through the Revolutionary War, through the Civil War, through battles that pitted brother against brother that destroyed the landscape. I remember when my uncle first drove me down this road, he said, I want to show you something that really explains what the South is. And he didn't tell me anything more than that. And I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. That's all I'd say. And then we'd drive and then suddenly we'd pull up. And as we were pulling up, I'd say, when you look at the buildings that you see in, in, in much of this region, they've been rebuilt. 
But the townspeople or the people of this region purposefully left one not rebuilt to show what as a landscape and as a people they've been through. And at the end of that, that's all I say. I don't even name the church. I don't give any information about that. But the door to the bus opens and they see just this clearing and these old brick columns, an altar in a what looks like could have been a cathedral or something that's got weeds overgrown it, graves sticking up throughout this church, this ruined church landscape. I don't say a word, but neither do they. They all just filter off and start wandering and weaving through the space. And then at the end of five minutes, I go to the rear of this kind of area and I just sort of start saying, um, all right, let's, you know, let's return. And I say that to two people in the rear, and then they start to become the leaders going back to the motor coach. I don't wave my flag and say, all right, you have five minutes, get back on the bus now. <laughs> I just guide them. I facilitate the sort of natural human walking off and walking back onto the bus, all in silence. And then we get back on the motor coach. And then I say, well, this is a church that was built before the Revolutionary War. It dates from the 1700s, whatever. I, I, I add some details, but the experience comes first. The wow moment comes first. Totally programmed. And I know at the end of that tour, back when I used to lead that, that was always the thing they remembered. That was always the thing they remembered. So it's really uh, about how you stage the experience more than about hoping, crossing your fingers, that something weird and wild happens that everybody remembers in a good way, you know? Yeah. And so make no mistake, you can craft these wow moments um, down to precision because it just follows the arc of storytelling. Uh, I need to feel like I don't know everything. There needs to be a knowledge gap or it's not going to feel revelatory when I experience it or when you tell me something. So a lot of the things that we know when we see movies or when we experience the world uh, are yeah, are, are are the toolbox for us to craft these kinds of wild moments that make all the difference. Sorry, Definitely. that was a long that was a long aside for what are normally short podcast episodes for you. Sorry, it's fine. That was absolutely perfect. I mean, it reminded me of um, an episode, and I'll find it in the in the show notes as well. We I did on awe and creating awe yes. inspiring experiences as well, and how you can lead up and set the suspense and set the scene, as you say, set the stage for those moments to happen and those moments to occur, which, as you know, might be transformative and definitely memorable as well. So, yeah, thank you for sharing those examples with us. Um, I'm going to wrap up um, a little bit and just ask you if you could share a book or any books that you would recommend to any listeners, anything that's been inspirational or something they could pick up to find out more about some of the things we've been chatting about. Yeah, I think there are, there's three books, if that's all right. And I think they're each a different kind of perspective on, on this. And the first is The Experience Economy by Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. It's a book that I accidentally discovered back in the year 2000 and transformed everything about, about what I think travel should be, a guided or facilitated experience should be. And you know, it's also good insight into why the heck we're all always using the word experience right now. But it's about how you can add value to an experience to make something feel much more special than it might just be, which uh, is the name of what 
a guide is doing or a docent is doing in a space. We're adding that extra value. Second one is a book called The Power of Moments. And it's really a detailed analysis of what a moment is. And these are business books, but make no mistake, the lessons learned are completely applicable to what we do uh, in our businesses, in our, in, our, in our careers. The power of moments is really focused on those wow moments. But what it's doing is just looking at the way in which companies could actually solve problems through crafting a human emotional moment rather than thinking it's more data or higher pay or whatever. And that's, for me, the takeaway from that is largely you can get to a five-star review and better tips, not by knowing more or by adding more things to your tour, but how you stage it and how you present it. Then the third book is by a hero of mine named Sam Hamm. It's called Interpretation, Making a Difference on Purpose. And again, it is just a classic in the field because what it does is try to snap us out of the modes of either entertainer or information deliverer to really dive into what a facilitated experience looks like. And um, I know these books aren't a secret to you, Claire, but for me, they're really my triad Bible of what I think has unlocked a lot of these thoughts in me and really has made a mark on what I do as an educator. Yeah, fantastic recommendations. I was just looking at my bookshelf and seeing all those books there as well. So I'll put a a link to those books in the show notes. And you've just interviewed Joe Pine as well, haven't you, for your own podcast? Yes. So I recently (laughs) became the leader of Tourpreneur, which is a podcast and a community. And really for our first podcast episode, we wanted Joe Pine, the me and my uh, two other partners in Tourpreneur said it's 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 kind of our statement of what we think, not only about the travel business, because there is a business element to this. And that business element is we're fighting the pressures of of commoditization. Guides rarely are the ones earning more profits from a business's success. Guides are often asked to do more, and a guided tour. Uh, is often, you know, something that is 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 shopped around by a customer based on price, and that's because they see it as a commodity. Any guided tour is the same as the other, and so when I'm looking for a guided tour of the Louvre, I'm just going to go for the cheapest ticket. And really, what the uh, Experience Economy book does, and what Joe Pine does, is say. Uh, Creating an experience means you can price your experience on value. And the more you become known as a value, not cheap, but as in something special happens on this experience, then it doesn't matter how much it costs because people are coming to it for a very different reason. They're using a different part of their brains to judge that you're the you're the guide or you're the experience for them. And so uh and so um, he really, for us, is the is the statement about how we foresee, hopefully, the travel industry and the experience economy to go in the future. Brilliant. Um, I can't wait to listen. I'll put a link in the show notes because uh, it'll be out already by the time this episode airs. So tell us what's next for you and how can listeners find you? Where can they find you on the web and on social media? Yeah, two places. You can go to thetripschool.com, thetripschool.com. And we have tons of free resources, free courses, all sorts of things for you to dip your toes into the waters of our community. And 
And that's really our community for people that are guides or docents. We have storytelling courses. We have uh, articles on wow moments. We have all sorts of things like that. I have a free course on crafting wow moments, for example. Beyond that, uh, I'd love if anybody here joins Tourpreneur, uh, joins our Facebook group of about 4,000. It's exceedingly active. There's about 15 to 20 posts a day of just people asking questions and your fellow docents, guides, operators, answering those with their own experience. And to me, that's what's so magical is it's just peer-to-peer learning, completely uncommercial. We're just there to support each other and really create a sense of uh, shared, you know, shared, shared, a shared life. When we're out alone, it's fun as much as Facebook is fun to just log on and see that other people have other struggles and that they've always got your back. And so I invite people to check out those two sorts of sides of what I do. And then beyond that, please just feel free to reach out to me. You can always email me, Mitch at thetripschool.com. You can just join the community. I'm there every single day. And it's just really, um, for me, a joy to meet as many people as I can to hear your perspectives, because what I do is just in reaction to what the needs are for our industry around the world. And that's why I love what you're doing, Claire, because you're just providing another perspective, which is so needed in our industry. And my real, my real hope is that, you know, what you do, especially with museum facilitation, trickles into the way an ATV rental operator in the American Southwest thinks about how they greet their guests and what they're doing uh, on a tour, because it's all the same. It's really all the same. It's just expressed in very different ways. And so, you know, breaking down these silos and these silos of knowledge and creating these connections is, is for me what this is all about. So I really appreciate uh, you having me on here. Brilliant. Um, here, here. Back at you, Mitch. It's been lovely chatting to you. We could chat all day. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing so much gold in this episode. And um, yeah, I'll see you soon. Bye. See, see you around, maybe even in person. That would be lovely. Bye. So many thanks to Mitch for being on the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed our chat. Go to the show notes to join Tourpreneur and to connect with Mitch on social media as well. And before you go, don't forget to join our community. That's our community for this podcast, the Slow Looking Club. You can look for the Slow Looking Club under groups in Facebook, or I've put a link in the show notes. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.